Hi, and welcome to the Calvary Corp Podcast. This year, we're going through the Gospel of John and getting a fresh look at who Jesus is through his teachings, miracles, and actions. We hope that you're blessed and encouraged by the following message. So good morning, uh, welcome. Here we are at the final Sunday of January of 2021. Uh, you know what? Like it's, we had high hopes of this year being so much better than last year, and uh, and here we are. And you know, from the bottom of my heart, I do hope that that you are doing well. Um, I know that there are some uh, people in the church who are who are sick. Uh, I've been praying for you uh, by name. Uh, at the prayer meeting on Wednesday night, as well as in my private and personal prayers, uh, I am remembering you. Uh, but also, it's more than just um, physical health um, that we're concerned about. There's the, the ongoing just uh, mental weight of all of this, the emotional burdens, the strain. Um, and I do just, I really just hope that you're well. And kind of transitioning from that, um, I see that from our passage today, um, I really have the privilege of just bringing like a word of encouragement uh, from Jesus uh, to you. So I have a wonderfully blessed um, responsibility and privilege. So I'm just going to pray for myself uh, and also pray for you that we can hear just encouraging words from Jesus himself. Um, Lord, here we are. Uh, on the one hand, we're gathered together in that we are experiencing you and your word. We're uh, worshiping uh, in our own ways. So we're gathered together in your name. But at the same time, we're also scattered um, across Cork City and County, um, across to, to Sweden and, and elsewhere, even further afield. Lord, wherever we are, I pray that we could have our hearts be calm, our ears be open, um, our, our hearts be attentive to what you would say to us. Please use um, little old me to convey um, wonderful and reassuring truths to those whom you love so much, Lord Jesus. Uh, you love them. You love me. You love the people of Calvary Cork and, and far beyond. But I pray, God, that your words of comforting peace um, would would have a purpose and they'd be like arrows and they would find their way to troubled hearts. I pray this in your name, Jesus. Amen. All right, so last week in the previous section of John 14, uh, Jesus encouraged his disciples and he encourages us that although he is not physically present, through his Holy Spirit, he is with us. Uh, Jesus is with you. Uh, the Father is with you. The Spirit is with you. Uh, the Trinity is with us. So while we may be on our own, we are not on our... We, <laughs> oops! While we might be alone, we are not alone. Uh, God's presence is with us. And that's the big idea from, from last week. Well, here, here's the big idea of this week. Um, he not only gives us his presence, but he gives us his peace. If you want a one-sentence summary of what I want to get across, here it is. 
true, indestructible peace of heart and mind is yours to receive from Jesus himself. True, indestructible peace of heart and mind is yours to receive from Jesus himself. That's good news, right? Well, and you know what? Uh, it's, it's right here in this book. So uh, let's look at those first couple of uh, verses, uh, verses 25 um, and 26. Uh, I'm reading from the, um, the CSB Bible. Um, it says, Jesus says, I have spoken these things to you while I remain with you. Uh, but the Counselor, the Holy Spirit, whom the Father will send in my name, he will teach you all things and remind you of everything that I have told you. So here we have essentially Jesus says these things. He says, I'm here with you now, um, but I'm not always going to be physically with you. The Spirit of God is going to be with you. So he says in 25, I'm speaking now, but the Spirit will be speaking later. Or maybe a more technical way of saying it is, Jesus speaks and the Spirit reminds. The Spirit echoes. Jesus speaks in the morning and the Spirit is the evening echo. Um, so here's the primary understanding of that, okay? So Jesus says, I'm speaking these things and the Spirit who will be with you. He is going to remind you of all that I've said. Here's what this means in the first century. Here's what this meant in the upper room. Jesus is saying to the 11 apostles, those that are still with him at this stage of the Last Supper, um, perhaps he looks at John in the face. Perhaps he looks at Matthew in the face. And he says, I've been saying a lot of stuff, and I'm only two chapters in. I'm going to be saying stuff in 15, 16, 17, mind-blowing stuff, and I want you to remember it. But he says this, the Spirit of God is going to come and is going to help you to recall all of this accurately. So if you are holding a Bible in your hand right now, or if it's on an app in your phone, or if you have a Bible somewhere in your hand, those Bibles mean that this promise has been fulfilled. I think in the most narrowest sense, Jesus is speaking to the future writers of Scripture, and he's telling them that the Spirit of God is going to help you remember these things clearly, to inscripturate and to transcribe accurately what Jesus is saying and has said. Uh, not even just to remember the sayings, but also to know the significance thereof so that it can be written in an accurate and illuminating and inspired way for you and I. So I think verse 25 and verse 26 have found their fulfillment and their completion in that John and Matthew wrote down these things accurately, that, that Peter uh, told the stories of Jesus in a faithful way so that young Mark transcribed them and, and gave them to us. Um, these are the verse coming to pass. And additionally, this is not only true of the 
ancient conversation in the upper room or the first century writing down of the documents that we come to know as the New Testament. That is true. And also, I believe there's another application of this for us. 21st century Christians uh, just trying to get by. Well, my friend, you are not alone. God himself has come to you. God himself dwells in you in the Holy Spirit. And this verse speaks to his ongoing ministry of bringing to mind the words and the deeds of Christ, enabling us to think of them, to recall them so that we might obey them, so that we might live them out, uh, prompting you to remember later in the day that scripture that you read that morning. Uh, bringing to mind a, a song that you learned in Sunday school long ago, perhaps, or giving you wisdom in the moment to apply and to live out the teachings and the mission and the ethos of Jesus of Nazareth in your context, in our times. You know, at the, uh, the prayer meeting, this Wednesday night Zoom prayer meeting. And guys, they've been rocking and rolling. They've been, the past couple of weeks, they've been better than ever. And so I do want to encourage you, this coming Wednesday, I'd love to see you and pray with you on Zoom. Uh, anyway, there's details about that um, elsewhere. Info at calvarycork.org if you want those details. But anyway, at the most recent Wednesday night prayer meeting, uh, Vlora, uh, she was speaking to us about an invitation that she got to come into like an Albanian Facebook group. And, and she is an Albanian speaker. And she was asked to kind of like um, to say something. Uh, she decided that she was going to share her testimony to tell the remarkable and the surprising and encouraging way of how Jesus Christ drew her to himself. And she was trying to figure out how to tell that story. I mean, it's a whole lifetime's worth of story. How do you compress it short? So she prayed and, and she prayed beforehand and said, uh, Spirit, would you help me to share my testimony and to know what to include and what to leave out as I share this to the watching Albanian world? And she prayed for wisdom, trusted the guidance of the Holy Spirit, she said she scribbled out some thoughts a few moments beforehand, and then she gave testimony to what God has done in her life in a way that impacted people that you and I will likely never interact with, but the Spirit empowered her and enabled her to do so. I think that's a secondary application of what he says right here in verses 25 and 26. And, and my friends, don't think that these verses, that the Spirit's work, however, only applies to when you're asked to share your to testimony in a Facebook group or when you're called up at church to, to make a little speech or to do something. My friends, the Holy Spirit cares about all of life. Uh, certainly, the Spirit helps us in a unique way as we evangelize, as we speak and teach and preach His Word, as we pray together. Yes, the Spirit is involved in that, but also the Spirit is involved in the ordinary, unglamorous aspects of Christian life. Not just the times when you are behind a pulpit or in front of a camera or asked to do something uh, religious. 
the Spirit brings to mind everything that Jesus has taught us. That's what verse 26 says. That means, and I can say this from experience, there's times when the Spirit of God reminds me the truth that I have been bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God with my body. Uh, the Spirit has reminded me and perhaps has reminded you in various times that God was patient with me. Like he was so patient. And so I can be patient with others. So this first section, the work of the Spirit reminding early disciples and current disciples of the words and works of Christ. Okay, speaking of the words of Christ, let's look at the next part that he says. This is a verse that maybe some of you have had memorized, some of you have heard. Uh, I always get kind of nervous teaching on these famous verses because I know they're well beloved by many and I feel this pressure to, to bring something new or exciting to a well beloved passage. And guys, I got nothing new, I got nothing exciting beyond the plain old words of Jesus. Let's read verse 27 and following. He says this, Peace I leave you, my peace I give you. I do not give you as the world gives. Don't let your hearts be troubled or be fearful. You have heard me tell you, I am going away and I am coming to you. If you loved me, you would rejoice that I'm going to the Father because the Father is greater than I. I have told you now before it happens so that when it does happen, you may believe. Okay, Jesus comes back to his main theme in the upper room conversation in the Last Supper discourse. And that main thing that he's teaching them is that he's going to be leaving them soon. Uh, you could see that there in verse 28 uh, and 29. I'm leaving and I'm telling you now so that when it does happen that you're not caught off guard. He makes clear to them that he's going to be leaving them. He also reminds them here that he is not going to leave them as orphans, that he's going to send his spirit to them. We're going to hear that every single week. How important. You know, this. he gives this speech in the upper room, and then here we are in our sitting rooms or in our bedrooms. We're alone hearing this, feeling the absence of people that we know and love. Jesus says to those who are about to feel his absence, nope, my presence is with you. You're on your own, but you're not alone. But not only does Jesus promise his presence to his followers, he also promises his peace. Did you see that? He says, my peace I give to you. Peace I live with, leave with you. He's given not just his presence, he's also giving his peace. The greeting or the phrase peace is uh, kind of a common one in the ancient world. Uh, Jesus being a, a Hebrew, uh, a Jewish man speaking to other uh, Jewish men in this conversation, uh, they would have a greeting. Uh, they would say shalom. Uh, they would say peace to one another. It's something that you would say um, as a way of saying hello. Uh, it's a way that when you would say farewell, you'd say shalom. You'd say peace to you. Peace be with you. 
uh, perhaps you're familiar with the word shalom. Uh, and, and you know, in Cork City Center, uh, we have two parks. Uh, we have the park on Grand Parade, uh, and people call it the Peace Park. Like, technically it's the Bishop Lucy Park, but it's called the Peace Park. And then if you kind of go around, there's, a, there's another park, uh, you know, closer towards the marina, kind of at the bottom of the Elysian, and that's called Shalom Park. So we have Peace Park, and we have Shalom Park uh, in Cork. But anyway, that kind of goes back to the idea of this, this is the standard way to greet. And also, likewise, you know, in Cork, uh, you greet with certain questions, certain phrases, and it's kind of the traditional, the expected greeting, you know? How are you keeping? How's it going, kid? Um, we ask these questions, we say these things, and when you say to somebody, how are you keeping? It's just kind of a polite thing to say. All right, and oftentimes people say shalom, it's kind of a polite greeting for them to say. Now, when Jesus says, I'm going to leave you with my shalom, well, I'm gonna leave you with my peace, it's not just a polite pleasantry that he should say. He's imbuing this with more meaning than ever before. And do you know why I believe that? Because he doesn't just say, you know, peace be with you. He says, my peace be with you. Now, now, Jesus is, guys, he is the Prince of Peace. Uh, Jesus is the one who experienced inner peace in the midst of outer turmoil, like all throughout his adult life. Uh, he is the one in the middle of a sinking ship, in the midst of a deadly storm. He was the one that was at such peace that he was able to, to rest and even nod off uh, in a nap. Jesus is the Prince of Peace who experiences peace, and he says, my peace be with you. That's why I know it's not just a pleasantry that he is saying. Here, on the eve of his betrayal and crucifixion, facing the abandonment of friends, which he's already predicted in chapter 13, when he's going to experience the hatred of his enemies, when he is going to be pierced with the flaming arrows of the evil one, when he's going to experience the physical pain of the crucifixion and even the judgment of God of the sins of the world, he speaks words of peace and blessing to his faltering, fearful, faithless friends. He says, you know, my peace I give to you. Remember that big idea. True, indestructible peace of heart and mind is yours to receive from Jesus himself. He says, I give this to you. And the question is, do Peter and John and Matthew and the other eight disciples that are gathered, do they receive that peace from him? He gives them this, these peace. He declares these words of peace and blessing to them. Not to take the storm away, but to give them peace in the midst of the storm. I like how Martin Luther puts it um, right here. He says, if the world thinks that peace is getting you out of whatever trouble you find yourself in at the moment, well then Jesus means the exact opposite. It's getting the trouble out of you. So Jesus says peace 
and then he goes on to experience tremendous violence. The disciples are going to experience inner turmoil and anxiety. He says, I'm not going to bring you out of the situation, but I want to give you peace in the midst of the situation. And guys, we'll get back to this later. I'm going to come back to the peace that Jesus gives after we look at these final few verses uh, rather quickly. So look with me at verses 30 and 31. I will not talk with you much longer because the ruler of the world is coming. He has no power over me. On the contrary, so that the world may know that I love the Father, I do as the Father commanded me. Uh, get up, let's leave this place. Okay, so speaking of Jesus having uh, peace or even calmness in the midst of calamity, these final two verses from our section remind us that Jesus knows exactly what's coming. Like he's not going to get blindsided by this, but in fact, this betrayal, mistrial, crucifixion, violence, he knew about it for all of his adult life. He knew about it from eternity past. This is the reason why he came to experience the unshalom, the violence of the cross, as a way of bringing you and I into the true shalom, the peace that only he can give. He's aware that he's headed into the worst storm of his life. Uh, look at there. It says the ruler of this world is coming. That's kind of a, a euphemism. He's speaking here of like the devil himself who has entered into Judas, has inspired this betrayal, this plot. And so he is walking into this, walking into conflict with the devil himself. Satan's final play. Satan is raging up against his upcoming defeat. And Jesus walks into conflict with the devil himself. He is walking into fiery trial. Uh, Jesus also is walking into inner conflict and hard obedience. Look at that verse 31. He says, I do as the Father commands me. This is hard obedience that Jesus is about to go into. Yet he's still at peace. Uh, he still has peace, and for you and me, he also dispenses peace. The one who is about to be so troubled says to his followers, My peace I give to you, my peace I leave with you, not as the world gives, but I give. Now they let your hearts be troubled, do not let them be afraid. So on the eve of his most violent day of his earthly life, and on the most heart-wrenching day for his disciples, Jesus gives them peace. He's motivated towards action. Sometimes we think of peace meaning just like sitting there in placidness and solemnity and peaceful solitude. No, he says the peace that I'm experiencing means that I'm going to go into conflict with the devil himself. I'm going to walk and carry my cross to Calvary. He's motivated towards action. Get up, he says. Let's leave this place. Let's get going, he says. And, and here at this point, 
Some scholars imagine that chapters 15, 16, and 17 are all conversations that they have as Jesus is walking towards Gethsemane, where he is arrested in chapter 18. Or maybe this is just something that Christians tend to do, especially after church. Remember church? Remember afterwards where you're like talking to people and then you say like, all right, well, time to go. And then you keep talking. Maybe this is something for you kids watching. Maybe your mom or your dad. Um, maybe they're just talking and talking after church and you're waiting to go. And then, and then they say, well, time to go. Let's go. And then they just keep talking and talking and talking. Maybe that's a very Jesus-like thing to do because he says, all right, let's go, and then just keeps talking and talking and talking. But anyway, with that kind of like lighthearted comment aside, uh, come back to our big idea. I want to come back to our main verse, verse 27, and our big idea, which I'm going to put it on the screen one more time. True, indestructible peace of heart and mind is yours to receive from Jesus himself. You see, he offers this peace to the disciples in a very troubled time. In chapter 14, I think he tells them not to be troubled, I think two or three times, because they're obviously very troubled. And guys, aren't we as well? Don't we live in troubling times? You thought I was going to say unprecedented times, but we live in troubled and troubling times. Here's how Aluwardara Fisipi puts it, a uh, Nigerian uh, Christian. He writes, Human history has often been an unwinding account of war, conflict, instability, death, and no shalom. We see an absence of shalom between tribes, people groups, nations, leaders, and their citizens. Uh, and that's, that's just the tip of the iceberg. I could go on and on about the lack of shalom, the lack of wholeness, the, the lack of just true mutuality in our world today. And I don't want to belabor the point. I think we all agree after living through what we've lived through. So there is this fragility that we experience, but yet the peace that Jesus gives is said to be indestructible. Matthew Henry puts it this way, The peace Jesus gives is of such a na nature that the smiles of the world can't give it, nor can the frowns of the world take it away. You see, my friends, we think of peace as the absence of war or the absence of conflict, but that's so temporary. Jesus says that he's going to give something that is unrivaled. The New Living Translation puts it this way. I'm leaving you with a gift, peace of mind and heart. And the peace that I give is a gift the world cannot give. So don't be troubled or afraid. It's not a fragile peace. Um, it's not a peace that disappears at the next um, uh, temper tantrum or the next bad bit of news that comes. He gives an indestructible peace. And here, on the last Sunday of the month, Communion Sunday, I want to end just with like a, a meditation on some of the ways that Jesus, through the violence that he endured, ushers us into peace. 
So you were already reminded to have the communion elements ready, and now it's time to, to get them before us if you're going to be taking communion uh, with us together. Uh, I, have, I have mine mine here. So I just want to point out some of these things that the crucifixion of Jesus, which uh, is going to take place in just a few short hours um, in our book that we're studying, the Gospel of John, but this crucifixion is a whirlwind of the greatest breaches of shalom that we can find in, in either human history or in our collective individual experience. Jesus experienced uh, physical torture of a tremendous degree upon the cross. There's the emotional and the mental trauma of it all. His closest friends uh, abandon and one of them betrays him at his greatest hour of trial. And he spoke of that in chapter 13. There's this coalition of power between the Roman Empire and the religious envy of the local leaders and authorities that were determined, despite his innocence, to see him condemned, crucified, and defeated, just like any other revolutionary that they deemed to be a threat. There's mockery, there's slander that spewed forth from the crowd. Uh, there's likely even like sexual shame as Jesus was most likely crucified uh, naked, kind of the opposite of Adam and Eve. They were naked and not ashamed, uh, but Jesus uh, bears our shame upon the cross. His clothes were divided amongst the Roman soldiers and they gambled for them. Such so like anti-shalom taking place at the cross. His mother is helpless as she watches him uh, struggle to breathe and eventually die. All this is so ugly. And yet, like Christianity dares to believe that although this looks foolish to so many, this was not a failure, but this was the outworking of God's intricate plan as Jesus the one who rises from the dead is the King of kings and Lord of lords, the Prince of Peace. Isaiah 53, which is a passage that is really worthy of our consideration on a Communion Sunday, says many, many things about the cross, but here's a line that I want to read to you. Verse 5 says, The punishment that brought us peace, shalom, was upon him. Later on in the New Testament, the Apostle Paul says this, Having been declared righteous by faith, we now have shalom with God, peace with God, through our Lord Jesus Christ. So the shalom that Jesus speaks about in the upper room, the shalom that believers we experience, it's not God is no longer my enemy, but it's God is my father. 
I am his beloved child. There's no barrier that is between us, not now, not ever. There's nothing for me to earn or deserve, but I receive and I dive deep into the love and the life of God. That's what it means to have peace with God. It's not just the, an end of conflict, although it includes that, but it's the presence of like abundance and wholeness and joy in a relationship that is entirely just wonderful and altogether good. It's a removal of, sh of shame and guilt uh, washed away by the blood of Christ. And so today, as we come to remember the death of Christ upon the cross, his sacrificial offering of himself for us. Remember that he is our shalom and he reconciles us to the God who loves us and he creates room at the cross of Christ for us all. So with that thinking about that, with that fresh in our minds, I invite you to, to take the bread and to eat it together across Cork City and County, uh, across the face of the earth as we are watching this together to, to take the bread and to remember the, the incredible acts of violence that he underwent that we might have the shalom, the, the peace of God. And not only was there, you know, violence against his incarnated body, but also his, his blood was shed for us. I believe Colossians says that we've been reconciled. We have peace with God through his, the blood of the cross. And so may we just take the cup together, remembering that the death of Christ to, so that he could give us peace and leave us with peace. Let's take the cup together. So, Lord Jesus, we thank you that what was unshalom to you has become shalom to us. The chastisement of our peace was upon you, and by your stripes we've been healed. Thank you, Lord, for what you put upon yourself, what you took upon yourself so that you could give to us. Thank you, Lord, for the peace that you give us. I pray for my brothers and sisters in perhaps all sorts of turmoil, external or internal. I pray in the midst of that, that even with open hands, that we might receive your peace, the peace that only you give, the peace that conflict cannot take away. We receive your peace. We pray this in your name. Amen. I'm going to close by reading the same passage that Ivor read uh, earlier on. Kind of one of the, the, the yeah, the, the words of blessing uh, from the Old Testament. <clears throat> May the Lord bless you and protect you. May the Lord make his face shine upon you and be gracious to you. 
May the Lord look with favor on you and give you peace. May Jesus continue to give you peace. Thanks for listening. If you'd like to know more about Calvary Cork, you can visit us online at www.calvarycork.org or follow us on social media.